Welcome to the Unraveling Science Podcast, the podcast where we listen to the stories that shape the science, but also the scientist. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Hanlon, and I'm so happy to be back for season four. This season, I'll be bringing you stories mainly featuring Irish scientists abroad, but we'll also feature some key Irish researchers working here at home. We have such a diverse season to look forward to, from ecology to physics, paleontology to neuroscience, and so much more. So, if you're ready, let's begin Unraveling Science. This season, I'm extremely grateful to be continuing to work with our wonderful sponsors, Biosciences Limited. Biosciences are now part of Thermo Fisher Scientific. You can check out what they supply at thermofisher.com. Dr. Barry Morin, Core Facility Manager of the Flow Cytometry Facility at the Trinity Biomedical Sciences Institute, joins me on the podcast today. So Barry's work supports over 100 research groups in Trinity and the wider research and pharma community in Ireland, while also completing his doctoral studies examining immune dysfunction in the skin disease, hydrogenitis suppurativa. Barry is also a director of the Cytometry Society of Ireland and a committee member of the Royal Microscopical Society. So Barry, listen, uh, it's great to have you here today and in person. It's been a long time coming, so I'm happy I've persuaded you to come on. Um, So welcome to Unraveling Science. Thank you very much, Megan. It's lovely to be here. Um, I feel a bit of the, it's all a big gag, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I suppose let's go back to, you know, you in primary school and you grew up in Galway. I did. Yeah. Um, so what was life like? Yeah, so I, was, uh, I should mention I was born in Mayo and moved up to Galway when I was six. So um, they're kind of close counties that are kind of like Springfield and Shelbyville in their um, <laughs> competitiveness but um yeah very normal uh grew up in Goa city then in primary school and uh all pretty straightforward and normal enjoyed it um cycled in every day and yeah <laughs> the easy life and did you like at that early age did you think you wanted to get into science or what were your like you know interests back no then? and i think you'll probably see a lot through the chat that there wasn't any real you know defining moments there wasn't a burning desire, you know, I've, I've heard other guests saying, you know, they knew from the age of four they were going to be a, a you know, doctor or a scientist or whatever. No, I, I think I was always interested in, in in that kind of general area. But but I mean, I was as interested or disinterested in, in, in most subjects. I have to be honest. Yeah. Mm. And when you were then in secondary school, like coming up to, I suppose, the leave insert, at what point did you decide you wanted? Yeah, so I, I was doing... I actually did the intercert. I was the last year to do the intercert, which is, is a terrible reflection of my age. Um, but I did, um, you know, it was just kind of science and that. And that was probably my favourite subject. And then I took them all on physics, chemistry, uh, biology and like higher maths in the leave insert. So I think I was always definitely going down that. And, and biology was probably my stronger um, suit. I did kind of dabble with the thought of you know, more technical, like engineering or, yeah. or architecture for a little while. But I think it always it was always kind of coming back to biology. And probably my favorite teacher was a guy, Frankie Thornton, in there uh, who taught me biology. And so I, I thought, yeah, I, it was kind of driven to me in there. So then I, I kind of went again. I just kind of progressed to the, the local. So UCG, as it was then now, and I go away um, to do a general science degree. Yeah. So you you probably stayed at home for that, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really, I, I found college really, um, whatever, freeing, to, probably to my detriment. But I did still live at home, yeah. But it was my first time of really being, really, you know, that I could make my own choices and decisions. And um, yeah, I was probably a little bit too yeah, young and immature to make the, the right ones. Not that I made particularly wrong ones, but um great time in college, I should say. <laughs> so what was that degree then? So that was uh, biochemistry. I mean, really in, in, in UCG, I kind of, when I came in, again, I, I was only 17 coming in and a lot of my um, friends from school kind of also went to UCG and most of them weren't doing science. So it kind of meant there was always people around like at the canteen and that that weren't doing my lectures so I spent an awful lot of time just having the crack in college yeah. I missed an awful lot of lectures the ones that I, when I did go I did enjoy it and I really kind of I, I remember doing um, genetics and I was always really kind of attracted to the genetic side of things biochemistry I've just found too complex mm. and too challenging again given 
how much time I was willing to put into it. I really like physiology. Um, I suppose the kind of general medicine side of that. But no, again, overall, there was no big plan. So you were just kind of messing and having the crack. But that's what college should be. <laughs> yeah, it should. But I mean, as I said, I, I think, I mean, I really cringe now. And I, I do kind of re- regret quite a bit that I just didn't have the sense to, to go in a little bit more. And, I, you know, working in college now, I can see that, you know, you don't have to kill yourself to get a, a reasonable good degree. You know, you can just, you can have a nice balance of a good social life and, you know, working a bit. And I, I just didn't get that balance right. So, and it's probably meant, you know, I've had to kind of work that little bit harder or, you know, it, it just really meant it took away the the more traditional route, you know, and, and you know, like if you think most of the people you've had on your podcast, they've been kind of very successful maybe in, in school and then undergraduate. And it, it, often it's, it's not to simplify things, but it's been a little bit of a, you know, kind of an obvious chain of things. Mm-hmm. Whilst I think I kind of took the stool away from myself in undergrad. So then I really didn't, you know, I didn't have a good qualification. I didn't have a, a plan. So it probably just made, meant, and, and, you know, that I had to do it slightly, you know, not dramatic, but slightly unconventional route, you know, yeah. to kind of progress, you know, and to stick stick in research, let's say. Yeah, well, I think that's also important to highlight as well, that like you did do, an, as you said, a non-conventional route, but you are in a job that you really love now. So, you know, that's... Absolutely, it. yeah, yeah. I, I think hopefully, you know, that one thing is that, you know, if you do slip up on things career-wise, you know, particularly in academia, where, it's, where it is a lot about, you know, good grades and that, that there is a way of, of, you know, getting back into things that all is not lost and that, you know, and maybe it's no harm having that bit of perspective in here because there's so many great scientists and, and, you know, sometimes that can feel, or, you know, maybe to people a little bit unattainable or that, you know, hopefully uh, a bit more of a journey man in me is, is a little bit, it's, it's relatable to some. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you did then go and do a master's. So you, you went over to Glasgow, I think. Yeah. So after, <clears throat> Excuse me. After undergrad, um, you know, as I said, I, I kind of realized, right, I have to do something. And you know, my my my, it wouldn't have been good enough to get me anything, any um, probably postgrad really in in Ireland. But I actually worked for a year then in a hospital lab, and and that was great experience. And I actually kind of realized, you know, I actually like working in a lab, and I, um. And I really then figured that I or really tried to leverage that experience in my applications. And, and I figured, you know, the UK was, you know, better possibilities, let's say, for there. So I wrote a good, well, I wrote a few. I looked at kind of masters that I thought I would like to do. And as I said, I really bigged up my, um, uh, my experience in the medical lab. So luckily then I was offered a few things and I and I went and did an MSc in medical genetics over in the University of Glasgow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was that like? It was it was great actually. Um it was medical genetics so it it had a bit of a mix of of people a lot of, you know, let's say kind of basic research who'd come from an undergraduate kind of classical science degree. It had a few medics who were going on to kind of specialize in clinical genetics, let's say. Uh, it had some people then that had plans to work in a, let's say, hospital genetics or cytogenetics. Mm. Or, so there was a little bit of mixed bag, which I think I liked. And again, I think because I was a bit more applied there, it was starting to kind of show that, you know, if I did apply myself, I could do that a little bit better and that. But again, you know, in a good way, I, I suppose I was getting the balance right better there and that I was going to lectures uh, I was studying but at the same time you know I, I was still out about uh, you know I found I could strike a good balance I was working in a pub over there too which I enjoyed and I made you know a lot of good friends over there too and again because the course was kind of real multinational and that too that um, you know it was probably a good exposure in that way too because in Galway in the, the 90s there was probably less yeah. know, multi-ethnicity so uh over in Glasgow was a bit more, and it's a great town over there too. It's 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 good fun. So you did a year there, um, but then you went back and you were an RA for yeah, a while. Yeah. So um, when I finished up there, I worked for a while in 
again UCG or NUI Galway. I think it was actually NUI Galway that changed in the meantime in a what was kind of the National Diagnostic Centre there. And again, that was me doing a little bit of kind of genetics, basic research. But, but again, nothing overly challenging. But it was only really a position for three months and then got extended to six months. So, you know, then I had to figure out a job. And I remember at that stage I was offered it or I, I applied for a few different things. And I was offered a, a job in, in as a med lab scientist in Limerick in microbiology. And I remember being very close to taking that position half because, you know, I, I didn't have a position at the time. And secondly, I knew it was a very good career and you yeah. know, there was a lot of opportunities and, and, and to progress in that. So I was very close. But again, I, I think there was something in me just in England that I, I kind of preferred the research side of things. So I... Then I, I got a job in the Royal College of Surgeons up here in Dublin, uh, where I worked as an RA for, for two and a half years. So that was up to the big smoke again, <laughs> um, which was great. There's a lot of overarching uh, themes here of, of enjoying the crack. Um, but Shocking. Right? Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so the College of Surgeons was great. It was actually a kind of a small spin-off company within it, a, a company called Surgeon, part of the Department of Clinical Pharmacology. So again, you know, I've been a little bit more immersed into the, the research world. But a lot of the work, my actual role, was, was it was it was kind of banking, it was processing blood and, and banking DNA samples for what they call pharmacogenomic downstream analysis. So what I was doing on, on that side of things was 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 reasonably routine but it, but again I, I really liked the, the lab work and and you know as you know yourself there's a real nice camaraderie in the lab and, and you know there's there's good fun and um and you know it's nice kind of being around science being around research and that kind of atmosphere so so I loved it and, and I loved Dublin then yeah too. Well, you didn't stay in Dublin very long. No well I was here for two and a half years and and then I basically was offered the opportunity to go to um, over to the Scripps Research Institute over in San Diego, which was brilliant. And and again, the opportunity to go to the States, you know, without a, you know, really ultimately without a PhD is is very uncommon mm-hmm. and, and let's say un- unlikely because it, it's very hard to, you know, postdocs are quite plentiful, but, you know, without it, it's quite hard and it. It's quite hard to kind of convince people over there. But but again, through contacts through the Royal College of Surgeons, a guy called um, Ronan Murphy, who, you know, he's a great friend of mine now. He's, he's a lecturer in, in DCU. But at the time, you know, he, he previously had been postdoc in, in uh, the College of Surgeons and then gone over to, to Scripps. We knew each other kind of loosely within the department. But when he was back, uh, at one stage, we bumped into each other. And however, it just came up. He's like, we're actually looking for someone over here. Would you be interested? I was like, I'd love that. It was just at the time I really had the, you know, the 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 want, to, uh, I suppose, the, the what's it called, the wanderlust mm. to um, get out of the comfort zone again for a little while. So, yeah, San Diego was super. And um, Scripps Research Institute was, was, was brilliant. You know, it's a really world-class leading research institute. It, it, it kind of, I suppose, opened my eyes to how research could be done and you know where there was a lot of you know there was a, there was a lot of funding there you know you could just tell there was a lot of money there was a lot of money in the whole institute but in terms of even you know just buying reagents buying um consumables you know if you had an idea you know if there was something like okay we want to do this you know it was very much yeah let's just buy that in and and, and let's look at that so it was great and you know it was the first time too i was kind of out of more routine work where i was having the opportunity where i could do you know, semi-independent work. You know, I still was working with postdocs, but the way the the professor ran the lab, he kind of had everyone their own position. So, you know, it wasn't like I was a postdocs technician, let's say, yeah. that, you know, and, and my title was research associate. I, I don't know if that was massively different, let's say, to a research assistant, but it was a bit more what could be a, a little bit more of a permanent position. You know, there I got to do a lot of cell and molecular biology techniques and kind of cloning and PCR and do you know quite a bit of imaging and microscopy and flow cytometry yeah. and things like that. So that was the first dabble into that world. And it was great. And again, San Diego is, is, is an amazing town with, you know, the best climate. And it was great. It was really, you know, I made brilliant friends, lifelong friends over there 
joined the GAA over there. Did you? <laughs> where I hadn't kicked a football in about, well, probably at the time, 15 or 20 years. I was very poor. But uh, so, yeah, that was super. So I was there. Um, yeah, nearly four years. Wow. Three and a half years. Because uh, that's in La Jolla, isn't it? The skips, yeah. Which is ve- like really picturesque. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's probably like, you know, the south of France or something, you know. Um, yeah. And I was living in um, kind of, let's say, a suburb called PB or Pacific Beach, uh, which is a lot of San Diego is all kind of beach towns. Mm. You know, there, there isn't a big, let's say, downtown, downtown like a city center. So, um I was living in Pacific Beach, which again is, is obviously a beach town in itself. And my drive in the morning up to La Jolla, up to work, was about 15 minutes. But I used to kind of drive up over the hill and then drive down where I had a full view of the ocean. Um, and it was amazing, really. And like, you know, I think over 300 days a year, it's sunny and you yeah. know, it rains about 20 days a year. So it, and it's never too hot. It's, it really is the best climate. So, yeah, it was really idyllic. And, it, you know, again, it was I felt like I was working in a in a really excellent place, so you know I was doing no harm to my CV and that too, you know. That's yeah, because I did the, a three month stint in in Scripps okay, uh, yeah. before I started my PhD. Sure. I would have loved to stay there; it was great. I was in the regenerative medicine. Yeah, I don't know what department. I was in cell biology. Okay, yeah, and we were in. I can't remember what we were like. A building was called, I don't know, vascular biology building or but something. But it's just huge, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And it's, it's and again, that is, is basically overlooking the, the cliffs. And, yeah. And that, you know, there's a big Tory Pines golf course yeah. there beside it too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's idyllic. But, it, you know, and again, as I said, there's, it's a real, it's all about kind of excellence. There's a good few Nobel Prize uh, people there too so and so like why then did you leave did you want to leave um if you know as you said it was the perfect climate it was the perfect place for science uh there was great crack you joined the GA you mm. had loads of friends yeah why why did you leave then yeah well I think after about three years um I guess I was feeling that it's either time to kind of more commit to over there to think about you know what else because you know when you're there let's say a year or two you know it's kind of quite transient and that and you know you, you kind of have the intention yeah I'll probably move on but then after three years I was like okay am I going to you know look for kind of a promotion or kind of develop my career further here and you know even things like buy the house and, and you know just putting down more social routes let's say mm. or do I want to think about you know coming back to Ireland and, and you know I, I thought about it a while and you know, I, I suppose I did think, you know, that coming back to Ireland was probably the, the thing I want to do in the end. I had nephews and nieces that were starting to grow up that I, you know, weren't seeing much at all. And my parents were getting older. And, you know, San Diego, it's not like, you know, it's the West Coast, so it's quite far. And I knew I was actually for the first few years I was able to get home kind of uh, twice a year. So, you know, it was great. And, you know, it meant I could kind of keep in touch. But I knew that, um, you know, going forward you know I wouldn't be able to have that same kind of freedom that it would go to every you know maybe once a year and then every second year and so on so it wasn't really going to be sustainable uh, and then this is obviously the days before you know zoom and and even whatsapp and that mm. so the, you know there was more distance okay with emails and with uh, you know mobiles and that but you know even probably calling home was probably pricey and that and you know even eight hour time difference yes. too so yeah, so uh, I did feel the the call to come on, but but again, nothing too dramatic. So I, I felt that I'd give it a little bit of time. I wanted to kind of let's say maximize the experience I got. So I I didn't want to come back and just take kind of any position that I wasn't that interested in. Um, and I suppose when I was over in Scripps too, it was the first time I'd really seen, you know, a lot of kind of staff scientists and a lot of core facilities and that you know out of just the main PhD postdoc professor so I I saw these kind of you know specialized positions so you know I thought you know maybe there's something in there um, and as I said I wasn't any big you know I said I'd give myself plenty of time if it takes a year or two that's fine you know obviously I still had the job over there and I was still very happy but you know I said I'd keep my eyes open so then I remember about three months in or so on nature jobs I saw there were two positions advertised for Trinity and one was to set up a new um, kind of confocal microscopy core. 
and then the other was to set up a flow cytometry core. So, you know, I obviously liked the sound really of both of those. And I was tempted really to kind of hedge my bets because really at the time I probably knew as much or as little about <laughs> both fields and both disciplines. So I did think about it, but then I, I thought, you know, if I'm writing up a, a, a cover letter at LCV, I should really shape it yeah. uh, towards one. Um, so I picked, I picked cytometry. Uh, at the time, I kind of felt that there was probably going to be a little bit more challenge in it and meat in it. You know, I, I don't know both excellent things it, it was kind of a case of, of picking one but yeah so I, I just applied for the for the cytometry one and and fortunately um you know i was accepted and and moved back funny actually i felt way more kind of trepidatious about coming back than i did moving over really yeah moving over you know and i remember friends of mine you know when i was moving over going wow it's a big big leap isn't it and you know leaving all your friends but I never really felt it, you know, I felt it being a, um, an adventure and I felt, you know, maybe naively, but I felt, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll just come back. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, maybe there was plenty of jobs, maybe not. But, I, you know, I felt like oh, I'll be fine. You know, even worst comes to worst, I just move home or that. But, you know, it didn't feel that dramatic a move. But coming back, I was a lot more nervous because I felt, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, if I'm not happy here. And I suppose because I had such a great time in San Diego, then it was like, well, I'm not happy back home. Do I go again? And and then I've kind of lost my home. Maybe I'll never come back. So yeah. I don't know why, but it, it did feel a little bit more unnerving. But I do remember, you know, probably only two or three days back, having a real sense of like, yeah, this is where I belong. And, you know, it was it was colder and wetter. And, <laughs> you know, I always think if you had a, if you tick the box of all the advantages of living in San Diego and, and, and living in, in Ireland or in Dublin, San Diego would have won out hands down. But, you know, again, you know, home is home and I suppose, you know, whatever cliche, but kind of where your heart is. And, and it did really feel that I'd made the right decision. So, yeah, I haven't really looked back since. And so when you joined the as a core manager for the flow cytometry, that was pre-TVSI. Like. Yeah, so um, in the old, well, on campus, there was kind of two parts. So I was in, uh, and still am in School of Biochemistry and Immunology. And the school was split across two buildings. And and I suppose that the facility itself started in quite humble beginnings, even in space-wise. It didn't, re- you know, it was really just one sorter and one analyzer. So it didn't require, we had very little users. Um, probably for the first maybe year, it was primarily one group, you know, Professor Kingston Mills group, um, a little bit else. And I suppose I was learning on the job too. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and which was great too because I didn't jump into this, you know, real thriving um, facility. I could kind of start small and and kind of baby steps. But then, yeah. So we, we I moved over kind of into a more custom room uh, lab with TBSI. Apparently, it's ten years now, isn't mm. it? In my head, it's always like oh, I think that's four or five years ago. But yeah, ten years ago now. But yeah. So and I suppose it's. Maybe at every step, we've kind of been able to expand a little bit in that too. So expand with the instrumentation we have and expand with the kind of user base too in that. Yeah, and I suppose just thinking or speaking of the 10 years of TBSI, you know, I did a podcast recently with the, um, there was five representatives from each of the five schools and then also Kingston Mills and and Luke O'Neill. And your name came up so many times (laughs) as, you know, a key member of TBSI who's built it and been, been there the whole way throughout. And I suppose... I suppose the essence of it was without you, the whole place would have fallen down. So absolutely, keep <laughs> saying that, Megan. <laughs> no, that's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah so true it is. I'm not sure, but well, clear. whenever that podcast comes out, so that's why I said to you, I was like, I'm not doing the editing on that, so I don't okay. know. So I'll, I, it will definitely be in this one. <laughs> okay, okay, exactly. I'll have my moment here. If not <laughs> no, I think it'll be in both. But no, I just think that kind of is a testament to you know how many how many people rely on you and you know how important a core core facility like that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, it's probably, again, it's it, probably a little bit about timing that, uh, as I said, cytometry is somewhat of an emerging technology and it, it's really, you know, become such a kind of a linchpin of particularly immunology research. And obviously immunology is such a big theme in, in TBSI um, that it's really kind of driven it. But then, you know, a lot of the other like um, bioengineering and pharma, you know, they're using more and more cytometry. So it's it's nice to get that in. And, you know, it's nice to have a kind of a central facility that's 
you know that again is kind of a connection for all the different groups and that so um you know it's it's good in that way i find i, I get to to know what lots of different groups are doing i get to know a lot of different researchers in the department and all the different labs and all the different fields so it's great like that yeah yeah i mean you know everybody <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah you do you know and again it's great that flow is you know becoming a you know important technology for everyone so yeah by by virtue i do get to to, to know many so if you were to describe i suppose the benefits of flow cytometry or why why we use it as a technique and what it can be used for particularly in the context of immunology which as we'll get on to is kind of the the area of your research as well yeah so i mean really if you want to understand any kind of you know biology or, or kind of disease or that you know a, a lot of the most basic thing we want to look at is you know the fundamentals of how cells are, are working and that so you know i think people are probably used to you know if we if we want to you know figure out the function of of the cells we, we usually want to look at various kind of proteins that are being expressed in or on the cell or you know various activation indicators or metabolic indicators so you know we need to study really what's happening in the cell so a lot of the way we do that in you know microscopy and cytometry is by fluorescently labeling all these markers you know that we, that we want to do so again people are probably used to these nice colored cells uh, seeing them under microscopy which is is very powerful but really what cytometry does is it really extends that technology where rather than just using you know uh, firstly uh, you know a couple of different markers we can add tens, twenties, thirties of different markers simultaneously to the one cell, and then rather than looking at the cell on a on a microscope plate or a microscope slide, the the cells are injected into a fluid stream. But essentially, what that means is your cells are analysed still one at a time. So we still analyse each individual cell, but we can do so at you know tens of thousands per second. So that means can analyze you know huge cell populations at rates of you know really a million cells per minute and we can look up to maybe 30 different fluorescent combinations per cell and i always say you know if if you want to think if you have 30 different combinations 30 different labels on one cell you have a billion different mm -hmm. potential combinations on that one cell so you know you can imagine that gives us a huge amount of data straight away which tells us can tell us a lot about you know what's happening within a, a cell population and then the, the, you know the technology kind of extends to a thing called cell sorting where any of these identifiable populations we can actually purify and we can isolate from a mixed population so if you think of you know let's say simply put you know if you take think of blood it's obviously a mixture of, of cellular populations we can identify a white blood cell or, you know, just a T cell or, you know, a, a subset of a T cell or a subset of a subset of a T cell. <laughs> um, and we can isolate that out. So in the end, in, in a tube, we just have that one population. So it means we can do, you know, a lot of analysis and just see that one cell type. And because of what this technology allows us to do, you know, it's really become at the forefront of immunology because, you know, as, as immunology has moved on, it's... It, it's really immunology is a really complex discipline and you know we're seeing more and more it's really involved in every bit of medicine probably mm -hmm. and a lot of it is studying about all these different subcellular populations so in order to do that you know it's really important to use um, cytometry and then as i said we, it's really important for us to see the cellular output or the cellular function of these cells so it means can use a lot of markers, a lot of these fluorescent probes. Often they're required just to identify the cell of interest because, you know, there's not just one marker that will identify one cell. We might need eight markers to identify yeah. one cell type. Then there's also a lot of what we call polyfunctionality to cells. They don't just, you know, often we think of cytokines when we're thinking of, of particularly immune cells. They don't just express one cytokine or one, you know, activation protein or anything. They're usually expressing a boat and are, are uh, multiple ones. And, and often we're kind of interested in that combination of, of them. So it's important to see in that particular cell what's the, the mixture of, of cytokines they're expressing. So uh, cytometry has really kind of come to the fore for that, I think. So it's probably good, good timing, you know, that how immunology, probably even in our department, how it's expanded over the years. And that kind of cytometry has been there to, to support and, and and cytometry kind of technology and reagent technology has has really expanded in the last 10 or 15 years. So, you know, they're really um, complementary 
areas really yeah and uh, you know th- thinking about that and I suppose all the different various areas of research that flow cytometry can aid into, into under, understanding and investigating you know you're quite um, involved in helping and, and contributing to a number of research groups as I've mentioned in TVSI and you know involved in a lot of manuscripts and if you look at your uh, Google Scholar which I did last night <laughs> but even within our group I'm thinking of you know Professor Sophia and like myself Achilles Mary you know you're on all of our papers with, because you've helped us like so mm. much with flow so I suppose my question for you now is why then did you decide to do a PhD yourself if you were that involved with research anyways I'm, I'm just interested mm. I think, yeah, I mean, it's great. Um, it's great that, you know, it's not just a technical role, that it's always been where I can really, where I like to think I can really add value into people's research so I can, you know, add um, input into kind of as they're designing their, their um, experiment, what their kind of experimental questions are um, and then how they kind of acquire the data and analyze. So I do enjoy that. I suppose some of it is some people just kind of, over the years, I've kind of assumed I have a PhD and there's kind of an ego in me that I don't really, you know, I'm like, no, I don't actually have one. And, and it's great working in TBSI. And, you know, the the reality is, you know, probably 90 percent of the people I work with either have a PhD or are going on to have a PhD. So, as I said, you know, as 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 I started getting more and more confidence in that in and, and you know, maybe going to more lab meetings and seeing, you know, yeah, maybe I do add value. I did start thinking about the, the the chance to do a PhD. There was some really good people in TBSI, let's say around, you know, great colleagues and that that were kind of really going, you know, you're well able to do this. You should. People like Clean O'Farley and, and I always remember too, like Park Dunn, who's a postdoc in, in the Mills Lab too. You know, they were always trying to involve me more in projects and, and you know, that probably got me more involved as, as, as you say, working with other people and, and you know, really helping in their um, writing their papers and so on. So then, you know, as as when I started thinking more and more, it's not it's not really a done thing to do a PhD part time, and it's not something that, uh, or certainly in in TBSI in our school, I haven't really found anyone else who who's, who's done it, and it's not something that's massively attractive necessarily to the school because you know no matter what it is a distraction, to you know I, I'm not paid to generally speaking to do my own research I'm, I'm paid to, to run the facility um so you know I did need a little bit of convincing to the powers that be somewhat that it would help me do my position you know maybe somewhat that it would help me stay invested and stay interested in it and you know that I needed this for my kind of development and that so yeah so I, you know I had to get a few pieces kind of together to kind of convince the to the school, you know, but but overall, you know, I think I'd made enough friends along the way that people kind of wanted to see me do well and and, and, and probably had enough confidence. I, I've always, like you said, I've always been involved in people's projects. I've always gone to lab meetings. I've always gone to seminars and all that. So, you yeah. know, I, I've never just had a, I've never seen it as, that's a, you know, in Verticom is just a technical role or that, you know, I've, I've seen, and I, I really do think like, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff, but, you know, you really do need to understand the biology and the experimental questions in it. So then I suppose, you know, then I started thinking, if it's a part-time PhD, how will it fit around the day job? Yeah. I suppose I obviously knew a lot of, you know, all the kind of the, the professors in there. So you kind of think what would potentially be a good fit. So, you know, I talked to um, Professor Jean Fletcher, you know, who I'd known for a good while and, and we'd, you know, been good colleagues and friends. And I've always really liked her and really trusted her and always thought of her as a as a as a great uh, scientist so you know i, I kind of asked would she be willing to kind of take me on and we develop something together um and happily she said she would and also importantly maybe she she was doing all it's a translation immunology groups it was all um clinical samples it was all human samples which was a better fit for me to do part-time work than than let's say mouse work or that uh, or animal work that would have been more challenging time-wise because I wanted to fit a lot of the work on evenings and weekends or, you know, let's say around the day job and that. And and I think a lot of animal work would have been more, yeah, maybe intrusive. And and being honest, it wasn't something that massively appealed to me too. I didn't, I did, I wasn't brave enough to do some of that. So I, I preferred the idea of the uh, clinical stuff. So, um, yeah, thankfully it all kind of came together and, and, 
you know, I, I had the backing of the school. Um, I, I was able to get some funding from the college to do it towards fees and, and then from the school. Jean and I wrote some kind of small grants that we were able to get. We designed the, the projects that it wasn't going to be too costly. And then, you know, we did, you know, the project that a lot of it was going to be quite flow heavy and that, you know, I didn't yeah. want or need to reinvent the wheel. I wanted to use a lot of, of, of what I'd gained to kind of build on that. And again, maybe a bit arrogant, I did feel that that's where I could kind of add value to things, you know. Of course, yeah. So I suppose talk to me about the project. Okay, so I mean, it kind of took a few different iterations at the start. You know, we did we did little projects on on multiple sclerosis and um, ALS and that, but we we started making kind of stronger um, interactions with uh, some dermatologists and that, and an, a PhD student or, or an ex PhD student from Jean's lab, Cheryl Sweeney, who again I was very friendly with too. She was working with a dermatologist in uh, St. Vincent's, Professor Brian Kirby, and and they were looking at a disease called hydronitis suppurativa, which is a bit of a mouthful, mm-hmm. uh, HS. So, so this is this really understudied, underreported inflammatory skin disease that, you know, is, is really distressing to patients. And it's it's relative. I mean, it's uncommon, but it's, it's not dramatically rare. You know, you get different ideas of the proportion of it, but it's, it's probably in about five in every thousand people so it's quite common and it's this you know it's it's this build-up of of uh, you know these kind of really inflammatory lesions and boils that that don't resolve over time so they they, they build up and they cause a lot of pain and they're also in these kind of unpleasant areas like the groin and the buttocks and and, and underarm and that really where skin folds meet and they, they get very large very painful they bleed, they ooze, and, and it's, you know, so you can imagine it's, it's a very distressing disease. You know, people have kind of embarrassment issues. You know, it leads to a really poor quality of life. But it's something you may not have known about it no. too well, except through me or, or through Jean. Exactly. Um, and, you know, speaking to the clinicians, you know, they're kind of crying out for, for more uh, treatment. So there wasn't really satisfactory treatments in it too. You know, a lot of it was kind of surgical, but again, it would kind of uh, come back. And then there were some biologics like anti-TNF that were showing promise, but only in a, you know, you know I, I think it was about 40% of patients. And these are things that patients have for, for, for decades. You know, okay. they usually have them, you know, po- um, post-puberty up to, you know, maybe in their 50s and that. So it's a really, it's it's one of these diseases. I suppose that it wasn't so studied too. Again, you know, we kind of felt we could do something. And given the nature of it, you know, there wasn't a lot known about the kind of immune cells involved in it or, you know, if there was a kind of autoimmune aspect to it. But, you know, I suppose we thought that we could help in here a little bit. And I think, you know, and you probably know from your own work, too, I think there's a big advantage in being able to research primary tissue. Often in diseases, we look at blood and that, you know, and, and blood is helpful, but it only tells some side of the the story. You know, it's it's nice to get to the actual primary site where it's actually happening. So, you know, with the dermatologist, we were able to get skin samples, you know, and skin samples from the, the actual lesional skin that, you know, was quite inflamed. And then we're also able to get control or sorry, let's say uninvolved samples from the same patient. And then we're also able to get healthy control samples. So from, you know, donors. So we had a nice sample range of, again, primary tissue. And, you know, we developed kind of nice techniques to be able to dissociate the tissue into single cells where we could do a lot of phenotype to really characterize all the immune cells in there. Because, you know, you, you would have immune cells in the skin, but but really not at the levels you'd expect. And some immune cells you'd expect in the skin and some you wouldn't. So when we kind of delved in, saw a much higher incidence of, of a lot of immune cells and particularly, you know, maybe some adaptive immune cells like T cells and B yeah. cells. And then we kind of further character because I suppose a, a, an interest in the lab is more probably T cells. So, you know, we kind of characterize a lot of the T cells and um, we particularly looked at kind of the the IL-17, which is kind of a pathogenic cytokine, you know, that's heavily involved in a lot of are implicated in a lot of diseases. So there's kind of IL-17 and T cells that express IL-17 are, are kind of characterized as TH17 cells. But they don't just express IL-17. There's a lot of other kind of inflammatory, you know, so-called pathogenic cytokines that are involved there too. So, you know, we characterized the T cells in there and we looked at the various cytokines that were uh, being expressed. And, you know, again, we looked at rather than just looking at 
it's expressed in aisle 17 or it's expressed in aisle 22 or so on. You know, we, we really tried to focus on the, the polyfunctionality of these cells. And again, because we really thought that these polyfunctional T cells are, are really the cells that are doing the damage in there. And then we also looked at, you know, regulatory T cells. So, you know, you usually have this kind of pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory arm of, of, of T cells. So regulatory T cells are kind of more to, to suppressive things. So we saw that in HS, you know, there were T regs there, but they were really, you know, unable to, to kind of control um, the, the inflammation. And, and that's really why it was going unresolved. And then we did see that where patients that were uh, successfully treated with this anti-TNF biological, that, you know, these pathogenic T cells did go down. So, you know, th that kind of for the first time are definitively showed that it's these cells that are playing a role in HS. So that obviously brings us then to the position that targeting these cells will hopefully treat it. Treat it. And luckily, there's a lot of good uh, let's say anti-IL-17 uh, biologics yeah. now, and in particularly in, they've been tested in, and used a lot in psoriasis, um, which is somewhat of a related disease, and it's obviously a, a skin inflammatory disease anyway. And essentially, anti-IL-17 drugs have kind of basically gotten rid of, of severe psoriasis and that too. You know, it, it seems to be a, a big game changer. So it's obviously very encouraging on us. Now, there are still some people that... It, it, doesn't, doesn't work for these anti-IL-17s. There can be side effects on it. So what we had started then and, and are still kind of continued to look at are upstream or downstream of the IL-17, you know, looking at the full pathway and, and the other cells involved. And, you know, maybe it's more efficacious to target, you know, maybe upstream of the cells, you know, to, to, to stop, you know, because maybe when you're having this big influx of T cells, you know, some of the damage is already done, you know, maybe we're just kind of treating the symptoms rather than, than, than getting in early. So, you know, we're now looking at, um, you know, targeting, as I said, um, more likely probably upstream, but potentially downstream and, you know, where the, the T cells kind of interact with the, the, the other cells in the skin, maybe targeting that is helpful. I suppose, you know, whether I'm, I'm um, convincing myself uh, or, or fooling myself, <laughs> but, you know, I do feel that it's, it's research that adds value and, you know, it's it's something that we were able to kind of help. But, you know, like every bit of research, it's it's all, you know, baby steps and you're only really adding a little, you know, pebble and, and everything builds up. But, you know, it does build things up, mm. you know, and, and someone else will, will take your research on or take little hints from your research and that, you know. So I think all of us have to kind of tell us it does combine to, to kind of, you know, this is where therapies arrive. It won't necessarily be us who are, who are getting the... Um, you know, the credit or the, the, the Nobel Prize, yeah. but, but yeah, it does all help. I think, you know, like, and a lot of people say this, you know, it's only a piece in the puzzle, but I suppose you need all the pieces, you know, to make, Absolutely, <laughs> to yeah. make the jigsaw. Absolutely, you know, and, and uh, you know, as much as I like research, you know, I think some people just love research and love science. I, I do like the idea that it's kind of helping people, you know, um, and it, as I said, maybe I'm kind of fooling myself, but and you're right, you know, any any contribution is is important. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, it is all you do need every piece of the jigsaw. So, you know, it does all add up. Yeah. Um, I, I want to also ask you about, you know, the part time PhD. So it was six years as opposed to maybe four would be an average um, for an Irish PhD. How did you find it? What what was the frustrating aspects of it? Um, Yeah, it's tough, uh, obviously. I mean, I think. There's, there are some advantages, obviously, to doing a, a, a part-time PhD, you know, not least that I a full-time job and, and, and essentially a full-time salary. But, you know, if I was, if there was someone thinking about, you know, doing a PhD at, you know, let's say 22 or 23 or, or after, a, you know, an undergrad or a master's versus doing it at uh, whatever, 10 odd years more when I started it. I mean, I think full-time is the way to do it. It's very challenging part-time I, I mean I was lucky in that it was in the field I had quite a lot of experience in I I could do a lot of things beforehand to preempt it as I said I, I picked a PI a supervisor that I you know knew was excellent I had a co-supervisor Kingston Mills who you know it was invaluable really to have his kind of expertise and input you know not so much in a day-to-day -day, but you know that mm -hmm. really helped so I was able to get a lot of the important steps together but, you know, it was still a lot of, you know, evenings and a lot of weekends. And even then in, in the job, I never I never really had any free time, you know, yeah. like 
my my lunches were kind of doing analysis and it's always there you know which i suppose is like a full-time phd imagine too you know even on weekends you know or, or you know you're kind of thinking oh, i should be studying this so it's hard like that and again obviously all you know when when experiments don't work and the frustrations <laughs> and all that that's still there too you know so so it is challenging i also you know i got married just before i started the like a month before i started the phd and you know during the phd we two kids luckily um so that added you know <laughs> i suppose that all ate into the free time yeah but we did kind of go in to with eyes open so you know there was that i mean one thing i'd say i did naively think i'd get it done in three or four and um, maybe naively you know maybe um but I, I would have probably had to give up more you know and, and probably not really looked after the kids nearly you know yeah, um, yeah. so I, I tried to always get the balance right so it did take that little bit extra and you know you're you know yourself writing and just tidying things up at the end you know you kind of think oh, i'll get it done pretty quick so oh and then pandemic kicked in then too yeah. so everything it, it it was the guts of six years in the end and it was tough but i i saw something i think only a few days ago and something like you know, to do a PhD, you should have the naivety to start it and the kind of resilience to persevere. And I actually think I I didn't really have the naivety. To, you know, I kind of knew to a degree what I was taking on because I'd seen so many PhD students go through and I'd seen, you know, the bad, you know, or I could sense, you know, the, the bad times, you know, where, you know, some PhDs were dropping out or kind of harsh kind of soreness thing where you know just experiment after experiment doesn't work and you're getting frustrated and you're frustrated with your PI and you're you know it's just yeah. really hard so I saw a lot of that so I think in some ways I actually thought it would be worse I thought I'd have more low moments than I did I did I, I actually didn't have as many as I thought I would so it, it did work out and that you know and, and overall you know I'm, I'm you know to be honest with you I am very proud of it you know um it wasn't easy, you know, so I, I'm proud I got to, the, you know, just about got to the other side of it. <laughs> we need to get that graduation now. My God. I know, I know. I think it's been deferred three times, you know, um, last time being a storm. But we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get and there. you had to do your five on Zoom as well. So as I say, in the middle of the pandemic, I mean, probably yeah. not how you envisaged it when you started. No. Well, I mean, I think you had a more harsh, could you, you know, it was early days of Zoom. And that when you did uh, your Viva, I was a little bit more in. So we were, we were all used to lab meetings and, and webinars and, and, and things like that over Zoom. But yeah, I was in my bedroom um, <laughs> and, you know, just sitting there. I did wear a shirt and tie, actually, and, and, and uh, trousers, I promise, uh, to at least look the part. But again, actually being in person for all these other people's Vivas and the celebrations after, yeah. you know, you are a little bit robbed uh, of that. I mean, I just came downstairs to my wife after and we had a little drop of champagne and it was great, but you know, I was like, okay, uh, right. Um, so it is that bit of anticlimax, but you know, it could be worse. And you know, thinking as well about you now, so you're you're still the core facility manager in in the plastometry suite. Um, why do you love that job, or what do you love about <laughs> it? Because I just know that we just annoy you. Well, in my mind, annoy you so much because when things don't work, Barry, I need you. <laughs> Knocking uh, on the knocking on the uh, door, please come and help. You know, and you're always so like happy to come and help. It doesn't ever seem like it's it's you a chore. Hear me, all my mumblings under my breath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I. And sorry to fr- rephrase it. I, I'm sure I know that you do love what you do, but I'm wondering why not. Not uh... what's wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I suppose it's quite a technology heavy area, but it's, it's not. I'm much more, again, kind of driven to the biology of it and that. And but I do like being able to help people. And, and, you know, a lot of things, to be honest with you, are often, you know, not that big a fix. You know, you know, as as in it's like like we all have different expertises and it just mm. happens that mine is, 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 is cytometry. So some things I can kind of look at things quite quickly and, you know, hopefully help to remedy. And it's nice to think you're kind of helping. And, you know, it, there's something... Like I can, you know, let's say you can have awful problems with, you know, your experiments and that. And, you know, you come down to me and, and I can kind of chat to you for a few minutes or go through things for, you know, an hour or something like that. 
but you know, I don't carry it with me. Then I just go back to my job. You know, so I don't. It doesn't. <laughs> You're not fit me. enough thinking about <laughs> snowball tissue macrophages. I know, I know. What? Well, somewhat, I know. Foolish. I, I mean, I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more general, not just yours. You know, <laughs> I love your macrophages, but. Um, yeah, you know, so, you know, where people, when you're doing the research, you know, it's 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 all encompassing and it's this big deal and why it doesn't work. Well, it's, I kind of feel like, you know, I can hopefully jump in and, and suggest certain things and then jump off again. And, you know, as I said, forget about it. I don't have to. And, you know, I can kind of almost superficially suggest things. I don't have to go into the minutia of, of what it is, you know, and I can suggest things for you to check. But, you know, I don't get bogged down. So I do like that. As I said, you know, I love what the technology, how it kind of supports the research and particularly immunology. So I, I, I love where the, I suppose the fields kind of merge in that. And it's, you know, without being too grand, I like working with a lot of like really smart people and talking about research and, and projects and, you know, things that haven't been figured out before. It is a, um, it is a nice thing to be doing and that, you know, so I do enjoy that. Um, well, my last question for you, which I ask everyone now is if you weren't, in the, the the career you're in now, if you weren't a researcher and uh, running this flow cytometry seat, where do you think your life might have ended up in an alternative career? Yeah, I'm not sure. As I said, it's not like I've probably shown that I haven't been such a driven scientist from day one or that. So as similar to that, I probably wasn't as driven about anything else. I do <laughs> like, I know, um, I know, but I do, I think I like, even though actually too, that the, the, so damage is quite technology heavy. You know, I, I was never as driven or never very driven about electronics or, you know, mechanical stuff, too. I think I like, you know, and, and maybe alluded to it earlier. I think I do like the kind of customer facing part of things and maybe the kind of business end. So maybe something like, you know, kind of, I don't know, coffee shop owner, or you know, where you could kind of <laughs> chat to people. And there's actually there's a, there's a there's a DIY store opened up at the top of our street now. And it's a small one. And, you know, the, I don't know the fella well in there, but he. You just always seem to be kind of chatting to people, you know, so I think all day people go in and kind of tell them their, their little DIY issues and he suggests things and he's kind of like an expert in that thing. So maybe I think I'd like that, you know, and he's not overly busy. He just likes kind of chatting with people and kind of helping them out. So I think I'd like maybe something like that. I actually who knows? love that. I can see you doing that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, that is kind of like what you do. In yeah, a maybe, weird yeah way. maybe it's a little bit too similar to. Yeah, I don't know. But, maybe a musician or something too. I mean, oh, well, can you play? I, f I kind of bluff on the guitar and singing. You know, again, you know, you know any, any, anyone likes, if, you, if you're willing to, to play a guitar, especially after a night out or that, and willing to sing, and especially something that everyone can sing along to, yeah, you know, so that that's me. Not very good, but after a couple of drinks, everyone's like, yeah. Play. It's funny, because I actually have a guitar over here if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way. I actually, any time I try to play in the last... Uh, like few years even like my kids are just like stop playing stop. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> next it's, time because you know Cormac Taylor has sung, sung me out for to, oh, uh, at, yeah. at, at the end of his episode so if I'd known this now we could edit uh, edit it in I'll, yeah. I'll put a piece together at home yeah, perfect yeah. perfect <laughs> um, well listen it's been so lovely Barry to chat to you thank you so much for coming on the podcast pleasure thanks a million so that's it for another week of Unraveling Science a big thanks again to our sponsor Biosciences now part of Thermo Fisher Scientific and if you like this episode Episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.